on this episode of In The Rack Podcast. There has been some cool research in the past decade showing that PT as the first line of treatment for low back pain is effective not only at treating it quickly, but reducing costs for both consumer and provider, which is great for both sides of the coin, right? So we... What you got? In the Rack Podcast, where we provide you with a practical framework for breaking PRs in all facets of health and wellness. We are just a couple of bros giving you the simple hows in a world of complex wants. No filters, no scripts, no rules, just straight talk. Talk to them. Now, let's get into the rack with your hosts, Dr. Chad and Dr. Nick. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of In The Rack Podcast. I'm your host, Chad, and with me is my co-host and physical therapist, Nick. Uh, We're coming off a Christmas weekend, so we hope everyone had a good Christmas and everybody got what they wanted from Santa. I know I got a big gift from Santa today, and you'll see it in the video. It's an In The Rack Podcast sign. It's legit. My That's brother sweet. made this. He's He's got some pretty good skills when it comes to metal fabrication. So he made it basically fit in the rack. So it's sitting on um, on J-Cups, and it looks pretty awesome. Raw steel, because we're all about raw here, and mm-hmm. uh, it looks awesome. So uh, have a look at that. Um, so we do have one last present for y'all to unwrap. And you guessed it, it's this episode on Low Back Pain. Just <laughs> <laughs> like that? Nice. Came up nice. with that myself. So specifically, the questions on, like, for example, can you throw out your back? Or um, can you slip a disc? If the disc slips, where does it go? We're going to answer all these questions today. Um, we're going to go into some studies. Nick's going to dive into some studies because, you know, Nick's all into the research and he's smarty pants. So he's going to give us all the information on, you know, low back pain in terms of, you know, MRI imaging, as well as, you know, predictors and, and such like that. So um, Nick's going to go through that. Uh, well, I'm going to talk a little bit more about like biomechanics of the low back as well and talking about certain things that might lead into back pain and how we might go about um, resolving some of that low back pain as well. So um, we also felt this would be a good time to talk about low back pain, especially if y'all live in the Northeast. Uh, winter is coming, or for some of you, winter is here, all depending on how north you are. Uh, we're on the line, so we don't really have much snow yet, but we know it's coming, and you know what that means. That means a lot of shoveling, shoveling. in the forecast. So we usually get a pretty good uptake in low back pain um, cases at this time of year, only because a lot of people are shoveling this time of year, and whether they're doing it correctly or doing it too much, or who knows, a lot of variables there. So we're going to cover all these questions that you may have surrounding the low back pain, um, and hopefully we'll increase your knowledge about the low back pain and, you know, how we can deal with some of that pain and, you know, improve your overall awareness of low back pain. Maybe we'll bust some myths while we're at it. So why don't you start it off, Nick? What are you thinking? All right. So I'm going to give everybody a quick update on following our vitamin D podcast, because as we've said multiple times, we like to continue, you know, the learning journey. So I was looking at some vitamin, some more vitamin D data, and there's actually been a big study called the vital study vital standing for vitamin D and fish oil supplement study. It's been ongoing for pretty much the last decade. It's got over 25,000 participants and their early data is showing that otherwise healthy people. So people with no, you know, diabetes, um, cardiovascular issues, that kind of stuff. Those people had no benefits overall on cardiovascular outcomes and cancer outcomes. So Um, You might hear that and be like, oh, so vitamin D is pointless. Well, no, not entirely. That's vitamin D supplementation. So that's synthetic vitamin D. So the big takeaway there is, I know it's tough if if you live in the northern latitudes in the winter, but in the spring, summer, fall, get your natural sunlight. Don't fear the sun. We talked about it on the vitamin D podcast. That's my big takeaway from from that that data. So don't fear the sun. Get get a good amount of sun. Don't overdo it, but you need enough to keep that vitamin D healthy. All right, cool. Just wanted to plug that in. Oh, that's good. All right, so back to low back pain. So low back pain has really become one of the probably most. It's really the I would say the most common orthopedic issue nowadays, right? And and the data will, will back that up because I believe it was since the '90s it's become 
the leading cause of disability worldwide. Um, so like physical disability. And it's increased exponentially in that time. And it does not discriminate against races, genders, anything. Everyone can be affected by back pain. You know, so that that is something that we need to, you know, take and and, and understand that this this can affect anybody, any age, any group. We're even seeing clinically younger kids, you know, I'm talking as young as nine coming in with low back pain. So it's it's affecting the the population as a whole for sure. And the instinct is often to, and we're going to talk about this a lot today, the instinct is often to just stop, right? It hurts to move, so I'm going to stop moving. And that is counterintuitive. That is probably the worst idea to, to, to you know, treat it, to go about it. So movement is key in the treatment. So there needs to be that, that element for sure. And, you know, when people do have an acute episode, so the back pain just came on, the vast majority of people do recover very quickly, but the recurrence rate is super, super high. Okay. So that is something we all need to consider when we think about low back pain, whether you're treating it, dealing with it, have a family member or a friend dealing with it, because we know it comes back. So you have to evaluate your behavior, your lifestyle, your environment, because that's, that's an indication that, you know, those, those factors that are, you know, habitual, their subconscious are at play there. Because if you say the environment is causing an injury or pain and, you know, we, we get it treated, we let it heal, but we never change that environment, it's going to come back, right? The environment was a, was a big factor in causing it. So that's something that everyone has to, you know, think about this. It's not just a structural, um, oh, I got this image. It showed me this, you know, this is what's going on here. We got to think about all the factors that are at play. And it, this is for any area of the body, but with the back, we see this very multifactorial nature of, you know, of causes that, that play a role in people's outcomes. So we need to dive into those and determine, okay, what are we dealing with here that is controllable? You know, what can we manipulate and what is uncontrollable? If it's uncontrollable, let's just forget about it because we're not going to, you know, change it. And if we can control it, well, how easy is it to control? And, you know, what, how can I modify? How can I manipulate? So those are the things we want to think about. And I'm going to dive into some studies more, but it's, it's nearly impossible to determine the specific structural um, cause of someone's back pain because the data is so, so inconsistent. So that just tells us that there's really, it, it's really hard to say, oh, someone shows a herniated disc on this image. That's the source of the pain. You really can't say that because the data does not support that. And really the, the clinical findings and, and people's experience out, out in the real world don't support that as well. So we can't, just narrow it down to this specific structural cause. Yeah, that might be, again, a factor, but it's not the the underlying, okay, this is the reason we fixed that, pain is gone, boom, it's not that simple. It's really never that simple. So branching off of that, you know, there was a, a study, this one's a, one that a lot of people cite. It was in 2015. There was over three, just over 3,000 asymptomatic people, so people with no pain at all. And they were between the ages of 20 and 80. And it showed that 80% of them had disc degeneration. So many of you out there have probably, you know, had an image on your back and, you know, a doctor said, oh, you have arthritis in your back or you have disc degeneration, the scary, you know, the scary uh, diagnosis of disc degeneration. But most adults, 80% of adults, so four out of every five adults has this. Okay, And so arthritis it, and degenerative disc yeah. is... Uh, pretty much normal findings so that exactly. just means i found nothing that is, exactly and that is <laughs> that is the the result of us living on earth with gravity that's yep. what that is yep. okay uh so it, it is something that you should not be overly concerned about you know it's it's going to come up on nearly everybody's results and i think it was people in the 20 year old 20 year old age group it was 37 percent of them so these 20 year olds young no one would expect them to have it and you're talking you know, over a quarter, you know, just over a third of them have quote unquote disc degeneration. Okay. And then it was 96% people in the 80 year old group, which I think everyone would um, expect to an extent. However, if we look at those numbers and you look at the, the pain data, we actually see that low back pain decreases as we go through the, the decades, as we age. Um, and that the low back pain itself, the pain in the region is actually higher in, you know, those 30, 40, 50 age groups. And then it takes a dive, goes down, but the findings show that there's higher disc degeneration. So how can we then say that disc degeneration causes pain? It doesn't, right? Because they're literally opposite graphs. So 
it doesn't make sense for us to say, oh yeah, you just have some arthritis in your back. That's the cause of the pain. No, very, very rarely is it. Could it be? Uh, absolutely. I mean, any anything could uh, can happen there, but it's it's not, you know, it's not fair to say, oh, you have arthritis in your back. That's the cause of your pain. We're not going to fix it unless we go in there and, and shave down these bones. Just not a good idea. I wonder how many of those people, especially the younger population, went in for something oh, else, got gosh. an x-ray, and then oh. all of a sudden they found that they yeah. have arthritis. Yeah. Or now all of a sudden they have pain and, you know, they didn't have it before. Because yeah. think about, too, like when you're, you know, you're 20 years old and someone tells you that. That's scary. Oh, yeah. That's scary. Versus yeah. you're, you're 50. You're like, okay, I kind of She's like, man, I'm not old. I yeah. shouldn't be having that exactly. right now. Exactly. Oh, so, so everyone screwed. thinks it's an old, you know, yeah. it's an age thing, but it's, <laughs> it's really not. And there's even, um, there's pediatric studies. So children, we're talking about children here. And some of the, some of the data shows that disc degeneration is as high as 44% oh, wow. in children, children, and then herniated discs. So what Chad was talking about, about, yeah. about the, uh, the slip disc, slip disc yeah. uh, that was as high as 38% in children. So these are just like Chad said, normal findings in humans, in, in, in our, our species. Now, is that normal? Like, has that always been the case? Maybe not. And at the end of this podcast, we're going to touch upon some of our theories as to why low back pain and these findings are so, you know, rampant in our, um, our species. And we will get there at the end, but you know, that it, does it matter uh, to an extent, but realistically, did our ancestors deal with this type of stuff? Probably, maybe not at the high numbers, but I'm sure, sure they did because they also dealt with gravity. Gravity has not changed. Yeah, and I think you, as as I you made a great point with the whole, I mean, I, I mentioned that slip disc in the intro and, you know, how many people do we have coming in the clinic that either quote unquote threw their back out or they slipped a disc, you know, and, and I don't know who's telling them this. Maybe it was a friend. If it was a doctor, shame on you um, because discs don't actually slip. It's not really possible. Um, you've got these huge two ligaments there that would just not happen. Um, and if they slip, I don't know where it would go. So, <laughs> so, um, but I, I think that when people are, are thinking of slip, maybe they're thinking of, um, there are definitely different stages of, you know, disc injury, if you will. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, these discs, they, they have a gel like interior. It's called the nucleus. Um, and they're protected by this outer layer, which is what we call the annulus fibrosis. Um, so the outer layer is what basically keeps that nucleus inside the disc space. Um, so could people be confusing slip disc with some of this gel-like substance of the nucleus spilling out? I don't know. Um, so there, there are different stages. Like, for example, like a, a degeneration would be like when the gel moves, you know, to the center to the edges of the disc like it's not like outside of the disc space right um protrusion which we most likely hear most most of us hear about this it's like when we have that bulge that comes outside of the disc space but the gel like substance of the nucleus is still intact then you get that extrusion which is you know where some people probably are like oh that's maybe the slip i don't really know i'm, I'm trying to i'm trying to give a little <laughs> leeway here right so um, and then you have the sequestration, which is, you know, when the majority of that gel just spills out there. Right. And that can cause yeah. pain for sure. And, right. And yeah. yeah, absolutely. And people often, uh, think they see like the sequestered disc on the image and the doctor's like, oh, that's stage four. That's really bad. But those totally. actually heal the best because the body is totally aware that something is out of, out of where it's supposed to be. And I need to go fix this versus if it's just a, you know, small little bowl, it's, it's causing some compression. The body's like, well, everyone, everything seems like it's in place, in the right place. We don't need to heal anything or, or fix anything, you know, so the body doesn't necessarily, you know, send all these healing factors to the area like it would if it were sequestered out of it. So that actually heals better on its own. Um, but one thing I wanted to add, add to, you know, what I was saying, these, these terms that actually cause issues more than, than good you know, the slipping of the disc, that just sounds scary to people, right? It sounds like it's, it's moving out of place. Now I have this unstable spine and that's just not the case. The other thing I think a lot of practitioners out there is they use this, this analogy of a jelly donut. You know, people have been told, yeah, your disc, it's, it's like this. It's like a jelly donut. You got the outer layer of the donut and then the, the filling, the nucleus, that's the jelly. Yeah. But I don't like that analogy because now people just instinctively <laughs> think that their disc is super super fragile, right? It's a jelly donut. How easy is it to bite into a jelly donut? Way too easy. I promise you, your disc is not that fragile. It is not that flimsy. It is not that nope. easy to extrude the jelly out. I promise you. Okay. So jelly donut, and I mean, it gives a nice visual, but don't, you know, stop using that analogy because it doesn't, it doesn't 
let people understand just how robust and resilient these discs are. Okay. So that's a big thing. But ultimately we've we've kind of beat this point that the pain and, and your structure and pathology in the back especially are not correlated very well at all. Okay. So when you have someone telling you you have this, this, and this going on in the back, you know, don't stress out about it because there's things you can do and you know there's there's treatments that that do work you know physical therapy is can be super effective we'll talk about some of that in a little bit but on this topic of uh you know the findings on your image i want to bring up probably my favorite study to cite with patients this was one in 2017 by uh i think herzog and a bunch of other authors it was a it was only an observational study so on, on one woman. So people would immediately look at that and be like, oh, that doesn't, that research doesn't matter. That's on the hierarchy of research. That means nothing, which, okay, but let's, let's listen to the findings here, the results. This was a 63 year old woman with a history of low back pain. They followed her over three weeks only, and they gave her 10 different MRIs at 10 different centers. Okay. 10 different MRIs. There were 49 different findings reported across all 10 MRIs, not a single finding was consistent across all 10. There was only one out of those 49 findings that was consistent at nine of the 10 centers. So this speaks to the variability that you will have with imaging, especially on your low back. There's these studies on pretty much all joints, but it is the most astounding on the low back. Now, to give you a little bit more on that, they use what's called the, the Fleiss kappa value. Not important, but basically all this does is it tells you the level of agreement between ratings. So they use this to determine how consistent the ratings were across these 10 MRI centers. Now a 1.0 indicates perfect agreement. Very rarely would you find a 1.0. Okay. Anything over 0.75 is excellent. The Fleiss Kappa in this study for the interpretive findings on what was going on on this woman's back was a 0.20, which tells us that it's a very poor agreement. Okay. So these MRIs were so inconsistent that basically we didn't even, no one really even knew what was going on in this woman's back. Like, what do we believe at this point? And for disc herniation for, on this woman, the agreement was as low as it was actually negative 0. Yeah. 0.02, which is like, it's the opposite way. So I don't even know if that's, that's a normal thing. I'm not, you know, very fluent in Fleiss Kappa values, but negative doesn't sound very good. doesn't sound like we can trust this, this data, this, this information. So you know, I'm, I'm, I always use this for people because they, they come in, they say, oh yeah, doctor told me this was the worst one he or she has ever seen. And that is just not fair to the individual because we know that not only is this, could, could this be just a normal finding for this person? But if we were to send this person to a different MRI center, we're going to get a different list of results, which is crazy, right? You could go to MRI centers in different towns, you know, in different networks and get different results. Okay, and this is part of the reason I think we see a lot of uh, variation in treatment of low back pain in different regions of the country, right? This is one of those underlying things that's, that, that's going on. There might be subtle differences in how they carry out the MRI. There might be subtle differences in positioning. There might be subtle differences in even something as simple as, oh, it's winter here, but it's, it's, you know, it's cold here, but it's warm down, down south, right? That could influence the, the internal mechanics of the body, all that kind of stuff. So hydration level matters. Stress levels in the moment matters. Time of day matters with, it, with an image, okay? You can see the list goes on and on and on. Is the person currently sick, right? All these things are going to change tissues in your body, hydration levels, all that kind of stuff. So that matters. And the discs it's themselves, they get their nutrients through movement, through the surrounding tissues. The, they are considered, the discs are considered avascular, meaning they don't have their own um, blood vessels. So they get all their nutrients from the, the joints above and below through movement, right? So that is a big piece of an MRI. An MRI is still, yeah, there are functional MRIs that we do on people during certain movements, but most MRIs on the back, you are very still. If you move at all, they have to redo the image, right? That is not what our bodies were meant to do. Our bodies were meant to move. So take your images with a grain of salt. They give you a little piece of information. They give you a piece of the puzzle, but they do not tell you everything. Okay, so just remember that when you are given this scary diagnosis of your disc is slipped and it's somewhere by your foot, right? That's not real. I think this would be a good time to just mention posture really quick because you talked about, you know, 
holding positions, right? And they're they're only taking images yeah. in certain positions, but we're not seeing that image during movement, right? Um, <clears throat> I know there's been tons of research on posture and for all of you that don't know, um, there is no such thing as good posture or perfect posture, right? Um, what's the quote? The best posture, posture is your next yep. posture. Yeah. So, I mean, there's been studies out there that have shown that there is no difference in low back pain. And they measured this on lumbar lordosis. No difference. People could have, you know, some have more, some will have less. Doesn't indicate that you're going to be more susceptible to low back pain. So um, the fact that we view that there's only one good posture to sit in or one good posture to take an image is yeah. quite honestly crazy, you know? And, and uh, I remember when I was in school and there was this, uh, they talked about this one article. I don't know if you heard about this article. It was called, uh, one bum knee meets five physical therapists. No, Did you, ever heard no. of, you ever heard of that? It was like in the nineties, man. Yeah. it's old, but, um, it was kind of going along what you said, you know, and it's like this one reporter for this, I don't know, newspaper. She, uh, she had knee pain. So she's off five different physical therapists, got five different diagnoses <laughs> and five different treatments. So Good she's like, the what reporter. the hell works? That's awesome, right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, it's an old study, but it still yeah. holds true. Right. So, um, I think you being an advocate yeah. for yourself is going to determine whether or not you're getting the right care. It's not that physical therapy is bad. It's just that you just got to find the right physical therapy that fits yeah, with you. Absolutely. Right. And same with the absolutely. imaging, you know, so no, for yeah. sure. And I, you know, that is a big aspect of the way our healthcare system deals with low back pain right now. We have all these scary words associated with it, you know, and it, it really results in like, if you, if you hear that something is damaged, Right. Like you get an image, the doctor comes in and be like, oh, yeah, this is damaged. They use the word damaged. Yeah. That's going to instill some fear. Right. And now. Yeah, or disease. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> or degenerative. Exactly. All these bad, these, these big bad words. All the triggers. Now it is natural for your body to just, it goes into a common sense protective strategy. Right. Like that's just common sense. If someone says, oh, this is damaged. Well, now my brain's going, oh, man, I need to protect that. That's damaged. Right. So it's just it just makes sense that you would go into this protective guarding and be really stiff now and not move. Right. And then that becomes this cycle of of catastrophizing. And that's not to say that people are making then making their pain up. Their pain is very much real. But now over time, the longer it lasts, the less it actually has to do with structure and the more it has to do with these over protective mechanisms that are just chronically turned on. You know, we can never relax that area and and let things calm down a little bit. So we get stuck in this, you know, this this just cycle of and and the practitioners out there, the healthcare providers as a whole, unfortunately, are precipitating this. We're causing this, right? People are saying these things. And then like Chad said, you go to these different providers, you get all these different answers, and now you're even more confused. So now you're like, man, this is so bad. No one knows what's going on. It's so damaged. No one's ever seen this. So now you yeah. catastrophize even more. It's 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 crazy that we like. How many times do you hear a doctor tell a patient because the patient tells us, "Man, this is the worst thing I've ever seen." I can't believe you're walking. How many times have you heard that? Oh my god! I hear it literally oh, it's, once it's so every bad. couple weeks. It's, so it's horrible. Bad. I'm like, man, that's crazy. But yeah, it just it just instills fear. It instills um, the fact that you think that something's wrong. So now, man, my only option is surgery, yeah. whatever that oh, may yeah. be. And and I think you're right. I mean, it's it's hard to look at all this research and it's hard to determine you know, what is the cause of your low back pain? Cause there's so many variables out there. And the fact that we can call, like we can have like pain one day, right? Go into your doctor and they're like, all right, let's do an MRI on this. He's like, I know what your pain is. It's degenerative disc disease. So degenerative just happened in three days. I don't think so. You know what I mean? And it's not, so like yeah. you were fine. And then all of a sudden now you're before. not fine. Yeah. You're degenerate. You yeah. degenerated in three days. I don't know what to tell you. So <laughs> it's, it's the language is just causing all of this, like, you know, mass hysteria with with disc and and backs and people think they they have to get surgery in order to have relief and that's not the truth at all for sure and and i would say so we've we've been adamant about that that physical therapy needs to be better as a whole right and i would say most most of the medical professions can can do we can do better but there has been some cool research in the past decade showing that pt as the first line of treatment for low back pain is effective not only at treating it quickly but reducing costs for both consumer and provider, which is great for both sides of the coin, right? So we, if PT is the first line of treatment, and they, there's some hospitals in the country that have added PTs in the emergency room for this reason, right? To be an evaluator for low back you know, pain patients. If we rule out red flags and other things, now let's get them in with the PT so then they can start treatment right away because otherwise... If they go see a doctor or they end up just seeing the doc in the ER and the the doc's like, oh, it's, it's, you know, it's nothing severe. I have to get to my next patient. 
You just go home and bed rest until it feels better and then get moving. Well, that's actually bad information because now you go stop, you go stop moving. You start to weaken, you start to detrain and we lose capacity. And then we get up and we start to move in the ways we were moving four days ago before the pain and my body doesn't like it anymore. Right. So it becomes this snowball effect rolling down the hill. So PT as a, as a whole has been clearly effective enough to be better than our current what is considered gold standard of treatment, which actually in a in 2018. What's the gold standard? So in a two, 2018 literature <laughs> review, the gold standard of treatment for, for low back was considered microdiscectomy. Well, this oh, was for disc oh, herniation. Oh, you're talking about. This was oh, for disc herniation, but that was considered oh, gold standard. Oh That's my insane. Gosh, oh my that gosh. was only three years ago. They considered this surgical option where they basically just snip off the piece of your disc that's, that's pushed out a tad. They just snip it and say, oh yeah, you're good now. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. But- I would say that the the results of that literature review are more an indication that we can do better. Like that's the reason they're saying microdiscectomy is gold standard for disc herniation is because we haven't done good enough as a whole. We need to do better. And that's just the reality of it. But it is cool that we're starting to see some of these, you know, little pilot studies of PTs in ERs helping reduce costs as well as get people back on their feet faster and reduce the likelihood of recurrence in the short term and all that kind of stuff. So um, that is great that we have PTs out there that are getting these people moving right away and loading them up because load is huge. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but you know, that's, that's a, a factor that we need to, you know, we need to address, it needs to be addressed as a whole in the, the healthcare industry for sure. Yeah. I, I think it is getting better. I mean, I think there's been a big push over the last few years in, you know, improving our profession as well in terms of the um, techniques that we're using as well as the approaches that we're using, whether it's assessments or whatnot, um, because the the standard, like we were just talking about, like that's what I was like, man, that's like the yeah, typical standard know, that most people do when they don't know what to do, yeah. right? Um, it's, it's a go-to. And I think that was the go-to for the surgeons. Yeah. Like it's a go-to, it's easy, it's quick. Yeah. And I know? mean, I would say that, hey, if, if you, at least if you're getting the moving to some extent, I'm, totally. I'm more happy with that than you saying, oh man, this back looks terrible. We need to get you in for surgery ASAP, you know, and then send them home on bed rest and, and just awaiting their surgical date. Like that's just, that's silly. And there's people who go through that. And if you're listening and you feel like, oh man, I was told that I was just told to go bed rest until they had a, you know, surgery time open for me. It's like, no, you need to get a second opinion right now, right now. You know, we've had many patients that will come in before they already have their surgery scheduled and they'll come in, see us and they end up canceling their surgery, which is pretty awesome. So you're not wasting any time. If anything, you could be saving yourself some time because sure. you won't have to go through surgery. For sure. Right. For sure. So let's talk a little bit more about, um, treatment because we've just been kind of dancing around that. I feel like, yeah. I feel like people are like, okay, so what do I do? We've said, you've said to move 12 times already, but how do I move? Um, well, how you move kind of depends, but overall, Movement is crucial because, like I said before, you get blood, or you get the the disc of nutrients through blood flow from the surrounding tissues. So actually, after a, any kind of injury in the back, there's there's some more recent research showing that, us that there's this process called microangiogenesis, which is just a fancy term for the production of small blood vessels in the area, and this is crucial for the regeneration of a disc or even, um, you know, parts of the, the joints and things like that, the ligaments that are, um, you know, might, might be injured at some point. So we need this blood flow to happen, but how does blood continue to flow throughout anywhere in the body? It's through movement. So if we just stop, your body might create these small vessels, but then the blood just gets stagnant, right? So we get this, this stagnation effect. So now the blood, the vessels are there ready to go, but we're just not moving to create that blood flow to the discs. So we need to actually move the back and then also load the back up because we need to create like a pump effect. So just imagine the disc is sitting in between two bones, right? And we get blood flow and the nutrients into it by not only moving the bones above and below, but kind of squeezing the disc a little bit it creates this pump effect to, to let these nutrients infiltrate the disc tissue. So we need to load the spine. If we never load the spine and the discs, we are missing a huge piece of it. Movement is the first step, right? But then we need to load it a little bit. It doesn't have to be crazy, but we need to load it more than they were loading it before, right? Just your body weight a lot of times is, you know, some people can can get by with just body weight, but we got to load a little bit more typically than that just so we can assure that we're getting nutrients throughout that whole disc and joint. 
area. Yeah, and, and I want to be clear, like, you know, I, I think it all depends on the patient, right? And movement can be uh, many different things, you know, and if you're doing uh, pelvic tilts for eight weeks, that's yeah. not enough movement, yeah. right? Um, I think when we're looking at a back, we're not just looking at the back, we're looking at the body and how the body is responding, like through what we call this chain reaction. Um, and, and the back just happens to be in the middle of that whole chain reaction, right? So um, we have the back and then we have the hips and then we have the thoracic spine, right? Which is your mid back. And that back just like sits right in the middle of those two things, you know, it's kind of in the middle of the whole body. If you think about it. Mm-hmm. So yep. <laughs> what you're doing with your arms, what you're doing with your feet For is sure. all going to have an effect on your lower back. And um, let me give you a little anatomy, quick anatomy lesson that the low back, it doesn't really move much in what we call the transverse plane, which is rotation. It does rotate, but it moves way better front to back and side to side than it does rotating. Um, guess who's really good at rotating the hips and the thoracic spine or the mid back. And if those aren't rotating, maybe there's some issue, whether it's a biomechanical issue, maybe it's pain somewhere else, then guess who has to rotate the low back and the low back already doesn't like to do that. So now if it's told to do that, or it has to do that to complete a motion, well, that's where we get spikes of pain. You know, um, and if you're not addressing the other issues that are causing limitations that are causing the back to have to work harder, well, that's just a remedy for, for low mm-hmm. back pain right there. Yeah. And that's going to cause pressure on, on, you know, other areas, nerves, things like that. So a lot of why a, a disc herni- like a disc pushing out onto tissues can be problematic is because it'll press on nerves. It'll press on the, you know, the ligaments, stretch those out. It'll press on, you know, sur- all those surrounding tissues. And then that pressure is going to restrict blood flow it's going to irritate those other tissues so getting the areas around the back above and below like chad said to move is going to take some pressure off that area right it goes back to what we were talking about before that like if you don't change environment you're not going to change you know the underlying issue at hand for the long term right and that's why i think a lot of people We'll have an image on the back. Oh, yeah, my disc was herniated 10 years ago. Went for an image again. It's still herniated. Well, discs actually do heal themselves. It does take pretty long, right? It can take much longer than, say, you know, like a uh, a sprain or something of, of a ligament, but or even a bone. A bone heals really fast, right? A disc can take a little bit longer to heal, but they want to heal. The body wants to heal it, but the reality is, is we just don't change what actually caused that in the first place, right? So if we don't change that, it's just going to either continue to be found on imaging or we're just going to continue having this episodic pain throughout the lifespan, which is what happens, unfortunately, to a lot of people. So we have to change, you know, these these lifestyle behaviors, environment that are creating these problems, you know, in the first place. And like Chad said, that's addressing the movement above it. How many people have a stiff mid-back, right? Almost everyone we see. Everybody. So, you know, how many people are limited in their hip movement because we all sit in chairs? Almost everyone we see, right? So it's no wonder we're having all this extra stress and strain on the low back. Now, uh, going back to, you know, the movement and the the loading, um, kind of Chad, you know, touched upon it with the posterior pelvic tilts, right? Like we're, it's going to be dependent on the individual, what they come in with. If someone comes in and their body does not like bending forward, but it feels really good bending backwards. Well, we're going to hammer bending backwards to start, right? Get them feeling good, but still moving. And then we're just going to gradually reintroduce the forward bending as time goes on. And then we start to load it. And when I say load it, it doesn't mean you have to go do, you know, heavy deadlifts or something. You can load the spine with a farmer's carry. Have someone hold some weights on their sides, right? That's going to load the spine. You can you can load the spine with, you know, upper body exercises to an extent, right? Like you do, you can do an overhead press and there's going to be some level of load on the spine, right? So it doesn't have to be anything uh, necessarily specific. We can load the spine with some lunging, some some weighted lunging, right? Or if you're on bed rest, you could stand up. Yeah, stand, stand, that would be some good loading stand, to start. Yeah, yeah if you're already <laughs> on bed walk. rest, start, start with body weight for sure, right? Start with just gravity yeah. um, by itself on your body. And, you know, then progress to some, some weighted stuff. But the loading of the spine doesn't have to be anything uh, fancy. There's nothing, it doesn't, you know, a lot of times it's the simple stuff that works. It's just about the timing of it, the volume of it, and the intensity, really, you know, how much of it we're doing or how heavy we're doing it. That kind of stuff is what, what really matters. And that's, that's really where PTs need to come into play is, okay, I need to give this individual some guidance on, you know, when they should be doing this, you know, what they shouldn't be doing in this current moment 
when we should mix that back in and how much of this stuff we should be doing. And a lot of it's trial and error, unfortunately, but that's why you, you work together with the, the provider and, and figure it out as, as you go, you know, cause it's, it's, it's an imperfect, uh, science, you know, we're, we're figuring it out each and every day and everyone's different. So that's the reality of it. Yeah. And it's, um, to go back on what Nick said about the image, it's, I've, I've had herniated disc. I've had it for almost 15, 20 years now. And I've got the image on my phone. So when I see somebody else that has an image, I'm like, Oh, mine's way bigger. Mine's (laughs) way bigger. So, and I feel fine. So, um, it doesn't always matter. The picture does not always matter. You just got to be patient and you got to be consistent. Have you had a follow-up image at all? Like, no, I yeah. haven't. I'd be interested. I refuse. I, I'd be interested to see though. Just, just out of curiosity. I've had X-rays only because um, Dr. Jeff did them on me not uh, probably three years ago, but I haven't had another MRI. I'd be, since. I'd be interested to see. I would be kind it, of interested to what see it, uh, what it looks like. Yeah, because obviously it, you've continued to to weightlift throughout that time, and I it's pretty bad. Yeah. I'll put it up on the uh, on the post when we put it up, yeah. so that you guys can all see it. I know I posted it like a year or so ago yeah. when we were doing like you, you treat your body pretty well. I, I, I bet it's healed to some extent. Um, because I'm sure it's still there, yeah. but I'm sure it's a lot yeah. less than what it was. Well, yeah. yeah and your body's going to yeah. adapt, right? Like oh, it's totally. going it, to, you know, it's like, okay, we're pushing out this way. Um, we have a lot of muscle mass pressing down, right? Like that's, that's a factor too, right? Like our, our body composition, how much we weigh, right? Obesity, a huge factor with, with low backs and and disc stuff because you're just creating extra you know force on those discs so that that can be a factor yeah as well. and i i know you touched upon the movement which is perfect because uh i think the first line of defense too and, and i see this a lot and, and i used to do this i don't do it anymore but the first line of defense is to create more stability in the spine um when maybe we don't need more stability maybe we just need movement like you know, I had this kid come in the other day. He's 17 years old and he's squatting 400 pounds and deadlifting like 450 pounds. And he goes, the doctor said, I just have to do core strengthening. I'm like, pretty sure you're already strong, bro. <laughs> of course, like, pretty strong. <laughs> but the kid can't move. So we have to get him moving a little bit better and create a little bit more functional strength, right? So uh, don't always go right to, you know, your your uh, your go-to stability exercises. Absolutely. And that's a, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that I often will educate people who come in with low back pain on is that we know that people who are currently in pain in their back don't swing their arms as much as they walk. And that's an indication that they have stiffness in the trunk. And there is plenty of research to show us that there's less variability of trunk motion during gait or walking in people with low back pain versus people with no pain, right? So that's an indication that they are on this constant guarded, you know, just slightly tensed so their arms can't swing and they can't move rhythmically and naturally. And rhythmically is huge, right? The back loves rhythmic movement. So, you know, if you're listening, you're like, hey, my back's been kind of kind of tweaked. I wouldn't necessarily say go hold a stretch. Move in and out of a stretch. Your back likes this rhythmic oscillatory movement. It's going to feed those, those nerve endings some good information without irritating and continuing on that protective response but we know that there's this increased stiffness so less arm swing rule of thumb is that with your head up on the horizon when you're walking when the arm swings forward so if my left leg goes forward my right arm is going to go forward as well that right hand should come just into your frame of reference okay with your head up you can't be looking down obviously and if you're looking down your hand's still on that frame you got a problem right that means your arms are way back (laughs) so head up on the horizon Arms swinging naturally, hands should just kind of come into your frame of reference. That's a good indication that you have, you know, at least adequate arm swing. And if you do it and you're like, oh man, it's not coming, don't stress out about it. Don't panic. Just be like, okay, clearly I have a little protective, you know, stiffness going on. I need to let that go. So you can try to just um, walk with, with a little bit more comfort, confidence, and see what happens, see if the arms swing. And if not, okay, maybe you need to address that rotation in the thoracic spine and the mid-back. Uh, maybe we do need to address some of the rotation in your hips so we have a little bit more of that pelvic movement, you know, counter movement during, during walking. So this stiffness is a big thing when it comes to someone in, in pain. And this stiffness in, in what they're finding in the research seems to come from these smaller movements so your body is actually fighting these these smaller, um, you know, less less conscious movements because those are more unplanned. Those tend to be more unplanned. Versus, you know, everyone who can think about lifting something heavy, you pre-plan that in your head. You're like, oh, how am I going to do this? Right? 
Like that's something that you think about. And maybe you get to a point if you lift a lot of heavy stuff that you don't need to, but to some extent your brain's like, okay, I need to do this, this, and this. Like real quick, at a certain point you get, you know, it becomes subconscious. But if you're going to lift something heavy that you've never lifted before, you need to plan for that versus the smaller movements you just do. You don't, you don't need a plan. So your body is actually protecting you from these smaller, less planned movements. And that's why we become so stiff that we have no movement. The arms don't swing at all. So if you go out and watch people walk and you see someone with, you know, their hands don't leave their pockets as they walk, they're literally just stuck on the side of the legs. There's no, none of that rotational movement going on. The arms are not swinging. You know, that might be a pain, a person who could be in back pain right now, or they have a history of it, you know, and we we're left with, even though if they don't have back pain in the moment, they're left with you know, these, these things that are likely playing a role in why they might experience it at some point in the near yeah, future. Guarded movement exactly. patterns. They're just super, super stiff and guarded. So we have to get that motion back, reduce some of that stiffness, regain some of that variation, variability in the movement. Yep. And, and that's a case where there is some rotation in the low back as well. And those hips have to move uh, relative to the lower back, meaning that you know, if the hips are going one way, the back has to go in the opposite direction, uh, not to make it too complicated, but that's how it works. Right. And when we don't have that movement, that's when we can clearly see that we're not getting good arm swing because we're not getting that relative motion. Yep. All right. So let's, um, let's talk about our, our theories as to why back pain. I know I mentioned this earlier is so, so running rampant these days. So theory number one for me, this is the big one. We just move less overall as, as a population and we sit way too much, especially in chairs. So with that, I would argue that one, move more and move more frequently. Your back likes, you know, you might be out there listening and be like, oh, I, I exercise every day. Okay. But that's one hour out of the 24, right? And then the other rest of the hours that you're working, you might be sitting at a desk on a computer because a lot of people are these days and not really moving that much. But the back loves frequent, you know, episodic, small, just small, small amounts of movements here and there throughout the day, right? So we're talking really, I, I prefer people to be moving every 20 minutes, but it could be more, it could be a little less, whatever works for you. But it, you want to be doing some form of movement, whether it's going for a walk. If you have a phone call, walk while you're on the phone. Um, if you are, you know, taking a break, just go move around, maybe do a couple exercises, could be a stretch, could be just some mobility stuff, could be uh, you just change change positions, sit in a different chair or sit on the floor. I love sitting on the floor for this, right? Because we sit in chairs so that, you know, messes with our hips. If you sit on the floor, hips will open up. I promise. You just have to do it pretty regularly. You can't just sit on the floor once and be like, Nick said my hips were supposed to open up, but they didn't. <laughs> yeah, once isn't going to cut it. It's got to be regularly. So that's big, big one. Number one, we just don't move move enough. So if you have low back pain, you've dealt with a lot of low back pain, you might have to move more frequently. You might move enough in total, but you got to move more frequently, more regularly. Okay. Number two, big one, shoes. I think shoes, shoes are a huge factor. Yep. I think shoes for sure. are a huge factor. So we've talked a lot about shoes in other podcasts, but with the um, emphasis of really, really thick heels in modern shoes, creates that big heel to toe drop. Now you're just walking and moving on a downward slope all day. And just imagine yourself walking on some kind of, uh, you know, down an incline, right? You have this subtle kind of arching back because if you lean forward as you're walking on an incline, you're going to lose your balance forward, right? So you have to lean back. So that creates excessive, you know, strain on those muscles of the low back to keep us from tipping forward because our center of mass has been done forward so and keeping our head on the horizon right yes it could cause some neck pain exactly change. so that's that's our number three right there keep that head on the horizon if you are out walking pay attention to where your eyes are if your eyes are looking down in front of you which most people get i bet they are and then you take your phone out your eyes are also down in front of you and then you're on a computer i'm checking some emails your eyes are out in front of you and then you get home and you're chopping up some vegetables and your eyes are out in front of you <laughs> right so we don't look up in the horizon from an evolutionary perspective, we were constantly scanning the horizon for threats, for potential threats, right? Because we weren't the fastest animal, right? We, we may have been the smartest for a long time, you know, the last couple million years, probably. Um, uh, we were constantly having to scan the horizon for predators, okay? So we had to see them early so we could then develop a plan and get away. If we saw them as they were in front of us where our phone is, it's too late. We are gone. So 
we had to constantly scan the horizon. So we were looking up on the horizon a lot. So look up on the horizon. And this really necess won't necessarily help you back, but this will help your life if you look out on the horizon at low solar angles. Just trust me, it feels really good just from a mental standpoint. Okay, I thought so you that's, were going to get mythical. So there. I thought you were going to be like, so you could see your journey or yeah, something. Yeah, well, like that's it. See your journey. Oh, oh. But <laughs> when you're when the sun is see at low life. solar angles, so when the sun rises in the yes. morning and the yes. sun's going down in the evening, if you view the sun at that point, you are looking out of the horizon. It is so good for circadian rhythm, mental health, your sleep, all that kind of stuff. We talked Just about the it. body's response to, to to the sunlight yeah. in your eyes and yeah, for sure. how that can play a response. So, Look up yep. on the horizon, especially if it's the sun. All right. So like Chad said, it's going to put a ton of strain on the whole backside of your body by just looking down all the time. Um, number four, we just have less physical jobs nowadays. I would, you know, that's a huge, huge piece. So people overall are just unfortunately getting weaker uh, compared to what our, our the human body is used to because we, we always, up until really the last half a century probably, it's just been physical jobs for most um, so that is, you know, something that you don't necessarily have to ditch your job and go get a physical one, but you can do things. That's why exercise is, is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. Exercise. Yeah, it's new. We've, I think I've said that on a previous podcast that exercise is not normal yet for our, our, uh, our species, but it's here to stay because we just don't have the, in the modern world, technology, all that kind of stuff. It's great. Those there, there's some fantastic positives to those things but we need to find ways to make ourselves as physical as our bodies are accustomed to being and exercise is one of those answers it doesn't have to be but it's one of those answers and it's a it's a fantastic one for people um number five this is one that is might be a hard pill to swallow for for some but it's a i i call it a decreased mental strength but i mean you could say whatever you want but that's paired that with the our current healthcare systems model of uh, telling people they're broken, basically. So we have a, um, and this isn't necessarily people are just weak-minded. I don't mean that. I just mean that they get into what we were talking about before about the catastrophizing. So when someone tells you you're broken and damaged, your brain is going to act very, very differently. And there's research to support this because people with low back pain have changes in their gray and white matter of the brain versus people who don't have any low back pain or no history of it. And these changes occur mostly in the emotion and cognitive centers of the brain. So we are, th it makes us think differently and it makes us have different emotions. Okay. So that's more so what I mean by the decreased mental strength. The decreased mental strength just is an overarching term. So don't think I'm just telling you you're weak minded, um, <laughs> even though uh, some people are, but, uh, that, that's, that's a different, that's a different podcast. Yeah, it is. Um, but that paired with the way our healthcare system responds to low back pain is creating is part of the the role in this this uh can we call this an endemic a pandemic an endemic what do we call this epidemic epidemic yeah i don't know What's the name for it's bad yeah whatever it is it's yeah, bad it's, it's it's running it's right. happening yeah. yeah i don't it's not a pandemic it's it's i think you're right it's an epidemic yeah yeah I don't know. I don't know those terms. I'm no scientist. <laughs> I'm no scientist. I just read science. I just read it. Yeah, I'm no scientist. I just read it for the next podcast. That's all I do. Yeah, you do. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. No. Uh, yeah, those are five valid points. Yeah. Uh, oh, actually, last point. Oh, six. you got one more? more. Poor nutrition. Oh, Big one. Oh, yeah, right. Get at Solid. me. Get at me Solid. if you don't no. think nutrition plays a role in your Wouldn't. back pain. I think it does. Legit. I think nutrition plays a role in every pain response we have. Yes. And overall, our nutrition nowadays is very very poor compared to what is evolutionarily consistent with our species i know that sounds very very evolutionary ish but it is it it's is calling out all you plant-based it is we we yeah <laughs> well our nutrition has fallen off a cliff and my wife's a vegetarian fallen so off I a cliff say, yeah um yes yeah yes. so we can talk more about that we actually in 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 about a month, have a pod, a nutrition podcast coming up. So, um, with, with a guest, so stay tuned for that. But that is just a one, one thing that we feel strongly about here that nutrition, you know, it's obviously going to be a factor in, um, you know, your health, but just, you know, it's, it's huge when it comes to orthopedics as well. So, um, you know, the nutrition can, can be, can play a role in your back pain there. I said it, you said it.
it's 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 recorded that's it i said it. You, you can't unsay it i said it um any anything else you got anything else dude i think i think you covered all of it there's obviously more that's not that's yeah. not an exhaustive list but those are the big ones that um i put on on paper just earlier today <laughs> Earlier today. I mean, these are these are coming from you know year, years of uh, looking at the research, treating patients, that kind of stuff. But uh, obviously, I, I only put it on on paper today. Oh, I only I put it out there today. Yeah, so it's, it's been in your brain. For we a can while, change though. it. Yeah, we can change it as yes. time goes. Things always change. That's the best part but, about everything. Yeah. Hopefully, the nutrition one changes because hopefully, yes. people start to take more control of their their health by starting with the nutrition. Yes, I agree. I agree. All right. That's a solid recap of low back pain. Anybody have any questions, hit us up. We're happy to talk about that a little bit more. Um, I'll put my MRI picture up there so you guys can see that I'm not full of shit. And uh, you can compare your MRI to my MRI. And I Ooh. am pain-free. So come at me. Wow. So wow. if you think you have a bigger MRI Dang. than me, you put it up there. And we'll see. We should mine's do pretty, that. Mine's pretty big. We should do that. <laughs> it's we a pretty big donation. Just start. Little, yes. little MRI pissing contest. Oh, yes. That's not a bad idea, actually. I think I will do that. It might give people the wrong impression, though. Mm, well, actually, no. I think it's just creating awareness about how MRIs can know. be very different. Yeah. 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 It's, it's actually not a bad idea. No, I think it's a great idea. Because mine being pain-free, and then you get somebody who's like got a little disc bulge. Got a tiny little bulge. A tiny little bulge. And they're in tons of pain. Sometimes the small ones can be a nuisance. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. Big things come in small packages. That's true. That's true. true. (laughs) That might just be a weak-minded individual. That's true. It could be mental in that case for sure. That's that's for sure. All right. So what are we coming up next? What's coming up next episode, Nick? We got a surprise. I know. Surprise. We're going to do something a little different. We're going to do a surprise episode because normally we tell you what the next episode's about. But we're going to leave you in limbo now. So we're not going to tell you what it's about. Um, and no, this does not mean that it's just because we don't know what we're doing yet. Okay? <laughs> oh, we got an all we know. Yeah, but we just out. wanted to be like, you know what? Let's let's make people wait um, if, if you guys are really, really that into this podcast. Um, and then also, we're just going to put surprise on the title. So yes. you also have to listen You'll to figure out what it's about. No idea. So, and if you guys are into Netflix... And I know Nick's in Netflix, but Nick doesn't watch this show. We were talking about this earlier. It's called The Witcher. Yeah, I can, and I love I this show. It. I know. But the whole thing, it's like the law of surprise. I'm calling this episode The Law of Surprise. You know what The Law of Surprise is? Do you know what the definition of Law of Surprise is? It's that which you already have but do not know. Ooh. It's deep, man. It's deep. So it could be knowledge. It could be anything. It could be anything that's, pretty, right? that's pretty fitting for the You don't know episode. you have it yet, but we know. That's pretty, we that's know pretty what it is. It's destiny. Destiny. destiny, right? So moral of the story. As we talked about earlier, low back pain is one of the most common orthopedic issues we see. Um, and it's not just here. It's in the whole entire world. Uh, we know that you know this might go against all of your beliefs, especially if you've been treated by a PT or if you are a PT yourself. But um, the best way to treat low back pain is to not actually treat low back. I'm just going to say it. I said it. I can't unsay it. Sorry. I did it. You said it. Yep. When it comes to treating the back... Most healthcare professionals do not address the underlying issues. That's a problem. Looking for a place to start? I'm going to leave you with a quote from Shakira. Hips don't lie. Thank you for joining us in the rack this week. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. You can also find us online at ProformPTMA.com or on social media at ProformPTMA. And remember, if you train inside the rack, you better be thinking outside the rack.